0: Welcome to the Cartography Podcast. This episode will be about conflict.
1: I thought that it would be uh, extremely relevant. Uh, I mean, we both thought that it would be extremely relevant in this day and age with all of the conflict of various sorts going on around us to, um, address this very complicated and very relevant issue of, of conflict. I think we kind of started the conversation off uh, talking about war, but of course, conflict takes many different forms and war I think is, is simply the most ubiquitous of those, the most easily recognizable form that conflict takes. And of course the most catastrophic and costly. Uh, but I think that, um, You know, there are a lot of different ways that we can approach this very complex issue. You know, I think maybe it it might make sense to start by laying out the various uh, theories and philosophies uh, around war, which have been discussed at length by many people much smarter than myself. One of the most famous ones, I think, to to discuss is uh, von Clausewitz's book, On War, which he wrote as a um, kind of an afterthought, if you will, to the, the Napoleonic Wars in the 19th century. Von Clausewitz was a Prussian general. And uh, for those of you who aren't too terribly familiar with the Napoleonic Wars, because there's kind of a lot going on there, uh, Prussia was, in the 19th century, the northern part of what we now call Germany. And it incorporated, you know, some territories from other modern nations. But basically, it's northern Germany. And uh, that's where von Klauswitz is from. Uh, He fought in the Prussian army and um, later ended up actually serving in the Russian army, also as part of the Napoleonic. He was part of the the coalition against Napoleon. And, um, you know, he has this very kind of systematic, analytical way of thinking about it. But I I think what struck me as most interesting about von Klausitz's formulation is that he really characterizes war. uh, The way he put it is it's essentially just a large duel. He really focuses on the inherently violent nature of this process. And one of the things I really respect about this book is the way that he makes it very clear that all kind of moral pretensions and, and sort of cultural norms around warfare are very contingent upon circumstances and that ultimately carried through to its full realization, war is violence.
0: What I like most about Clausewitz's framing is that he sort of describes realpolitik in very frank terms. So I think his perspective could probably be most accessible by the quote, war is merely the continuation of politics by other means. I think what that really gets the reader to think about then is how, like to think outside of the box in terms of motive for geopolitical conflict. So like it's basically the idea that that war is used strategically to achieve specific objectives, like whether economic or political or even personal.
1: Yeah. And this is one of the things that I think is kind of, you know, cause he, he makes several points, but that's sort of what I think is, is lacking a little bit from, uh, his characterization of it earlier in the book as, you know, sort of mere violence. He doesn't say mere violence, but, uh, he, he focuses on that aspect of it. And, you know, that dynamic really brings to mind many examples throughout history of, um, some of the most famous generals ever, and I've made this point on here before, uh, you know, were frankly losers. Um, They were generals who were excellent at winning battles, but not very good at ultimately winning the war, which is just another way of saying not very good at keeping the ultimate political goal of the society at the forefront of their operations. You know, some really famous examples include Hannibal, uh, who famously defeated the Roman army in several, uh, you know, very dramatic battles, uh, but of course, the Carthaginian state that Hannibal was serving lost the war and, in fact, lost its very existence to the hands of the Romans. Eventually, um, Robert E. Lee, the famous uh, American Confederate general, who uh, you know defeated the Union army against. All odds on many occasions, but ultimately, uh, you know, again, the Confederacy no longer exists. Uh, So, lots of examples like this that I think really highlight the complexity of war, all its different facets, and, um, you know, really make it an object worth studying in the sense that uh, it's just so high stakes. And I think that so many people have. Such kind of simplistic and emotional views, for very understandable reasons, because violence, which is what it ultimately comes down to, uh, you know, has a very strong emotional effect on human beings. It's the aspect of these things that we remember. I think it's it's very important though to highlight the less sexy aspects of it. Uh, you know, just the the sort of aftermath, the the norms and institutions which are established. Uh, as a response to war and which often would not be possible without the experience of that war. Uh, you know, my favorite example, there are many really good examples of this, but I think it's it's really important for a lot of people to know that the French Revolution, which uh, is is kind of considered one of the more extreme and sort of you know, like it's discussed as this paradigm of a, of a revolution that really got out of hand, you know, at least until the Soviet Revolution. Um, but I think one of the things that a lot of people don't understand, and you can say this about the Soviet Revolution as well, is that both of those took place in the middle of wars. And, you know, while telling the story of a revolution, which is really just a nice word for war anyway um, you know, it can seem extreme for people to get kind of carried away. And that's, you know, one, one minute you're talking about, or one year you're talking about whether or not to depose the king. And within, within a pretty short span of time, you've, you've unleashed a reign of terror and everyone is getting guillotined. Well, that all makes kind of a lot more sense if you understand that this is happening while the country is at war.
0: Yeah. You know, he actually had a great quote that, um, perfectly exemplifies what you just said the quote is the political object is the goal war is the means of reaching it and the means can never be considered in isolation from their purposes so
1: absolutely so
0: yeah i think that that perfectly exemplifies it you know and i think some good modern examples of that i mean i guess it'll be difficult to talk about these unless we go into depth on like each one of these topics which i'm not necessarily sure that we should do but like probably the most glaring example to me is like Syria, for example, like when you consider mm-hmm. um, like the Turkey cutter pipeline and even now, I mean, we hinted at it a little bit before, but the conflict with uh, like Russia and Ukraine right now, I mean, like how, how much of that is actually for Russia to get access to like warm water ports, for example, you know? So I, I think there's like many examples throughout history where like whatever the story we're being told or whatever the narrative Uh, that we're being told to justify the violence is, is really just, again, just like a means to reach a particular outcome for a specific group of people.
1: Yeah. I think another way to put it is that war is the perfect example of a gigantic conspiracy. War is something which perfectly demonstrates the bootlegger and Baptist paradigm, which I've talked about here before, but let me just summarize briefly again. If you think of the example of uh, the U.S. in the 19 teens, when uh, you know prohibition of alcohol was a was a hot button political issue, and eventually alcohol did get end up being banned throughout the United States, or at least heavily restricted, uh, you can imagine a context in which you have the let's say the country preacher down south somewhere who is uh, you know is a moralist. And let's just give him the benefit of the doubt, and let's say that he's in no way a cynic. He completely believes what he's saying that alcohol is is the scourge of you know American society, and and he can give all sorts of examples of of why it's so terrible. And you know he's got a flock of, of parishioners who who really believe what he's saying, and they care, and they're genuine. And then you've got the bootlegger up in the mountain just above that town where the preacher is. And he is, despite the fact that um, he comes from a very different sector of society, uh, he is 100% in agreement with the preacher because he derives a direct economic benefit from the prohibition of alcohol. Uh, it, It is essential to understand that moralism and cynicism Especially at scale, at the scale of a war, at the scale of, of a large centralized society with modern media, um, moralism and cynicism are not mutually exclusive. They can both contribute to the same outcome. And war is, of course, you know, again, it's just the most catastrophic example of that, where you have. Uh I mean, probably the the, you know, take your pick of any of the nationalist wars of the 19th and 20th centuries where uh, you know, there were lots of just really genuine people who deeply believed and romanticized uh, their nation's qualities and, and just, you know, they, they really felt willing and they believed, they were willing to lay down their lives in service of some idea, or perhaps if you ask many of them, they would say just in service of their, their fellow citizens, their fellow soldiers, you know, the people back home, et cetera. And then you have uh, politicians and uh, you know, uh, corporations and all sorts of uh, organizations which directly benefit from what we have come to know as the military industrial complex. And, you know, of course, the current conflict in Ukraine is just the the perfect example of that. It is absolutely geopolitics 101, everything that's going on right there. Uh, You know, yes, eastern Ukraine has a significant amount of natural gas that um, Russia would very much like to get, you know, keep its hands on. Yes, there is also, of course, a cultural component, right? There are plenty of people who also, uh, believe, you know, both from the Russian point of view and the Western point of view that this is a struggle about, uh, you know, either liberating the nation from Russian oppression or liberating, uh, the Russian speaking population in Ukraine from, you know, uh, Ukrainian Nazis, um, all of these different stories have elements of truth, uh, and you know personally, having been a little bit directly involved in the process of war, I, I tend to take a slightly more cynical perspective on it. But I also do think that it's important not to discount the the part that this sincere moralism really plays.
0: There's been some uh, recent developments in Ukraine that I think might be interesting to go over. First, I I was reading this article today about how I I won't name them, but four of America's most prominent uh, politicians like long stays in the in in the political realm for 30 years plus. So four of their sons are directly involved with Ukrainian uh, energy companies. So I, th- I think that's one interesting thing to point out. And then um, yeah. second, the the most recent development in the war that I've seen that was notable was that through American and Western mainstream media outlets, last week they were pushing this story that only about 30% of the money given to Ukraine by the West actually reaches like its destination. So they're implying that 70% of the money is laundered. Then a couple days later, they actually retracted that story so like I think this um, points out sort of how the media is used as like a geopolitical weapon so like clearly the intent here was to put some pressure on Zelensky or counter signal him in the in the mainstream media in the West but but we don't even know why necessarily you know so like Mm -hmm. like like you and I just speculating we will probably never know the answer to that. And we won't even know like why that story was put out, you know? And I I think that this is sort of just the reality with, with a lot of geopolitical events. I mean, especially with what we're with, what the public is told, like the act of telling the public is actually like a strategic play for any piece of information. So, you know, he has one quote that like Klausowitz has a quote uh, that is particularly good about this. He says um, many intelligence reports in war are contradictory even more are false, and most are uncertain. So, like, I think that, like, mm-hmm. I mean, based on the time that we spent working together, like, one of the main takeaways that I had is like, you could basically never believe like anything that you're being told, and you have to really interpret it through the lens of like, why am I being told this? Like, what, what do they want me to do, or what do they want me to think uh, as as a result of being told this information? Yeah, for sure. Right. I really agree with
1: everything you just said. I will add one interesting.
0: If you'd like to hear the rest of this conversation, please subscribe to the Cartography Podcast at patreon.com.